For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. This is Tailgate Till May, your place for year-round college sports talk. I'm your host, Stephen Gorgie, and I'm excited to be back for another episode. Tonight, we're going to be talking about the Pac-12. Brian Kaufman is out, but Ben Crowley is in. He's here. He's ready to roll. Ben, how you doing? Good. Uh, recovering COVID addict, I guess, this week, and uh, feeling good. Energy levels are coming back. Ready to tell you all about who's going to win the Pac-12. And uh, yeah, just ready to tell you why you're wrong. Yeah, of course you are. Of course you're ready to tell me why I'm wrong. And I'm excited to get into this tonight because I think this Pac-12 is the conference I'm most excited about out of all the conferences this year. I loved it last year. It was high-flying offenses, putting up big passing numbers, great quarterbacks, close games. It was a ton of fun. I loved watching it night in, night out last year and got those late-night games too, great home environments, especially Salt Lake City. I know those are those are your boys, and we're going to talk about that a lot oh, yeah. more. But it's just unfortunate that we have to start tonight talking by off-the-field news and realignment because it's just so classic that even when the Pac-12 looks to have a great on-the-field product, the realignment stuff takes precedent. It kind of takes over everything. Of course, USC and UCLA going to the Big Ten, but the big news this week is that Colorado will be returning back to the Big 12, a conference they left not that long ago for the Pac-12, now going back to the Big 12 again, and it's really kind of a disaster, or at least seems like a disaster out on the West Coast, and uh, it kind of makes you question the future of this conference that has been together in some way, shape, or form, playing each other on the West Coast for so long. So, Ben, what was your reaction to Colorado leaving the Pac-12 for the Big 12? Uh, despair is really the first word that comes to mind. Um, and you think you knew it was going to happen at some point just because the writing was on the wall once you lose USC and UCLA. And, like, there's really no one else you can bring in. I know San Diego State's been towing that line whether they want to join it or not. Outside of that, from a football perspective, and that's obviously a big, maybe the biggest, probably the biggest driver of all these realignments, um, there's not really anyone you can really add that makes sense from a West Coast perspective. And like you said, this might be my also favorite conference that I'm most looking forward to just because of how wide open it is and the offensive star power and how many returning quarterbacks and storylines there are, but it's just ultimately really sad to see it go this way. And I mean, Utah, you can just probably pen them in to be like a 10 P at this rate. Once everyone starts leaving the conference. So, I mean, it's good for them, I guess, but moving forward, just kind of stinks. Yeah. I'm with you. It, it is sad. And it's, I, I, I find all of this sad always when you're, breaking up and in this case with Colorado leaving it's not one of these instances where it's Texas A&M leaving the Big 12 and all the schools they've played in some way shape or form for a million years it's not that at least but I feel like it more signifies that the Pac-12 is just not gonna make it in the long term 
And do you think it's similar to the fact Maryland went back to the ACC? Oh, it's ex- like, I mean, say it's the exactly, Big Ten, exactly like that. Yeah, like if the Big Ten wasn't the conference that's now becoming, it's like basically Maryland going back to the ACC. A hundred percent. It's, it's ex- I guess good in that regard for it's Colorado exactly fans. like that. Although one of the big differences is Nebraska is now gone from the Big 12, and that was kind of the team that Colorado fans love to hate the most, and they built up a big rivalry with them back in the early 90s. So that is the one difference. But it's no, it's very similar. And I, I've been trying to think about this because I do think there's so much value in regional conferences. I, I don't love the idea of super conferences that span the nation or span multiple time zones. I, I think there's something... I think the regionality of conferences is something that made college sports special because you lived among your biggest competitors, right? If you were an ACC fan back in the days of the eight, nine team ACC, especially if you lived in the state of North Carolina, you were probably surrounded by other fans. If you were a Carolina fan, you lived next to a Duke fan, near an NC State fan, worked with a Wake Forest fan, worked with a Virginia fan, you know, knew a Maryland fan. And it's not, it's just not quite the same right now. And I do think that's something we're going to miss in the long run. I don't know what the Pac-12 does. I mean, there's no replacing a USC and a UCLA. There's nothing they can do to, to chase that. But what I might do if I was the Pac-12 is I think I would go, and I think I would go out and I would add Boise State, which has been the best power five or not, or G5 team for years and years and years kind of the best overall program that's still out there I think they would I would add them they are you know in the in that western third of the country I think I'd go and do that I think I would go you know this is interesting tell me what you think about this I think I would be more interested in adding Fresno State than San Diego State if I was the Pac-12 because Fresno State that kind of uh what is it? They it's play a, them a lot anyway, right? And they California. do a lot. A lot of those schools play Fresno State, but with Fresno State, it's it's in California. It's in kind of the middle of the state, and it kind of reminds me in a in a strange way of some of these SEC schools where Fresno is not near a major city. It doesn't have you know pro teams yes the the bay area is not super far and la is not super far to the south either but it, it's it kind of it has its own identity in the middle of the state and i do kind of wonder if fresno state which has had years of success in football going back to the pat hill days if they added if if they joined the pac-12 if they could kind of elevate themselves and really have a whole part of california that doesn't have a super rich sports identity at least in the national stage right now if if that community would really embrace Fresno State and kind of take them to another level if they were going to be if they were to become a Pac-12 team so I I think I'd be interested in that and then I think the no-brainer you have to do out of desperation if at this point if you're the Pac-12 you have to go get Gonzaga for basketball yeah I I think you (laughs) have to I was thinking too I mean it at least keeps you relevant at a national player contender every year in basketball. And obviously they don't bring anything to the table in football. Um, So to your Fresno state point, I think I could see Fresno state being more of a powerhouse and say Stanford in the next 10 years. If you bring them in just, just because, you know, they have the history 
Carr brothers. Did both of them go there? I know definitely Derek went there. I can't remember if David went Yeah, there. they both went there. Um, so they have a history. They're constantly playing the Pac-12 anyway. They're and often beating them. Good. Yeah. And they're at the top of their conference year in and year out. And uh, are they in the Mountain West now? No. Is, yeah, they're in the Mountain West right Mountain now. West? Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know why I had a brain fart there, but like they're contending every year. I think about, should I pick them? I know last year, should I pick them in our college football pool? So I think they would, like you said, there's probably fans of those Bay Area teams, whatever, maybe some LA, but true blue g- games that they go to, that fan base really would only kind of huddle around going to Fresno state, you know, if like, obviously they're gone, but say, you know, Oregon comes to town, um, someone else like that comes to town, they're going to light up that stadium and like, just be so hype. It's like, you know, when you move up in the world, like when you get game day for the first time, something like that, it's kind of moving up from to a power five. So I think it would kill if they did it. So I don't know that that, that kind of move, certainly doesn't save the Pac-12. It doesn't get nothing. Again, nothing replaces the loss of a USC and a UCLA, but at least what I continue to love about the big 12. And I said it, I think within the last two weeks is all of these schools that they're adding are committed to athletic success. They're committed to especially football success. And I feel like Fresno state, that's a school that has a, an enrollment of over 20,000. So it's a relatively big school. It's a, a school that does have a history of success that I think would be committed to continuing to succeed and possibly elevate their program. I think that could be a good thing. And Uh, The other thing that I find interesting about the whole realignment situation is I feel like we're moving in conflicting, two conflicting ways, right? There's this, on the one hand, a movement towards consolidation. It's these bigger, huge conferences. But on the other hand, we're now going to this 12-team playoff where we're going to have six automatic bids for the, the highest ranked conference champions. So six conference champions are going to get in, which to me would mean you want to be in a conference where you have a chance to win the conference every year. And I don't know that Oregon in a smaller Pac-12, if they're going to the playoff three out of every four years, I don't know that they, they aren't, that's not more beneficial to them than playing in a 18 team big 10 where they're fighting tooth and nail to win that conference and maybe hoping for a, an at-large bid, which are, they're, they're going to be tough to come by. I mean, I think we're going to be getting in the 12-team era, so you're going to have six at-large bids. I think the SEC is going to be getting at least two, if not three to four. of the, Like You could have years where four to five SEC teams are getting in in a 16-team SEC. Which is wild, too, because both these ideas of expanded playoffs and consolidation are essentially conflicting. You think one would happen because the other one isn't happening. And now to see it continually happen after it's gotten announced, it's like, okay, interesting. Like, sure, maybe I understand the SEC, you know, that's the football conference. Like you mentioned, you, you know, get more at large hopes. And if you're in the big 12 for Texas and Oklahoma, but then the day, like the PAC 12, I don't never fully understood USC and UCLA leaving. Obviously, I'm not running those schools, and I'm sure there's monetary reasons. But what you said, it'll be much easier, in my opinion, for one of those two schools to win the Pac-12 on a yearly basis versus winning the Big Ten on a yearly basis just from sheer competition of the powerhouses that are in there. So it's really doesn't make sense, and I would think 
it's going to be funny one year now that one of these teams that was not in the Big 12 or in the Pac-12 is going to win an automatic bid. And I wonder one of those teams that left that conference, like that could have been us, you know, we, we could have done that and said, we're in this conference and we just kind of cannibalize each other. And now we're on the outside looking in. So I'm curious to see how it shakes out. Oklahoma gave up essentially what could have been a year in year out invitation to the playoff. I mean, how many years before the last two, how many years in a row did they win the big 12? I mean, they, they were running that league and I, I think they would have made, I think in this new era, they would have made the playoff probably three out of every four years. Oklahoma would have been in the playoff. If not, maybe more often, maybe eight out of 10 years. And that I don't think that's going to happen. They were essentially the Kansas of football for the big 12. Yeah. Just like, Every year in the conversation and just thrown. And obviously in the past when the big 12 didn't guarantee you anything, but now it's, it's a ticket. It's a golden ticket. They're just thrown away. It's like uh, the way Wonka, you're putting all five tickets in one box in the office. You know, you're not spreading them out. So it's interesting. We got these two conflicting forces kind of working against each other. I do wonder once we actually start with this playoff, if we will see a bit of a slowdown with the movement or just if the the TV revenue, that opportunity for more money will always win out. The thing with the Big 12 move, though, for for the for Colorado is I do think the Big 12 is better positioned right now. I don't think the difference in money was going to be so significant, like the $20 million gap that exists between the ACC and the SEC and Big Big Ten right now. I think it would have been fairly close. I, I know the Big 12 uh, made a big move, you know, actually getting that TV deal signed ahead of the Pac-12 and kind of taking some inventory off the mark or kind of, uh, yeah, they, these networks now have the big 12 inventory. There's not as much need for that PAC 12 inventory kind of put the PAC 12 in a, in a worse position, but I don't think it was going to be significantly like life changing where it was going to make the difference between whether you can compete or not. I, I still have questions personally about how much that extra $20 million per year matters. I mean, at some point you reach the point of diminishing returns. I heard a lot of talk from ACC Media Day last week with Dave Clawson, who's built a really successful program at Wake Forest, talking about, yeah, we have enough money to get done what we get done. We need to get done. We have nice facilities. We don't have a putt-putt in our facility. We don't have a slide in our facility, stuff like that. But we have things in our facility that make us better. Dabo Swinney talking about, you know, we don't have the biggest TV contract, but we've never had the biggest TV contract in the ACC, and that didn't change anything when we were going head-to-head with Alabama for years, right? So I do, I know all that stuff matters. I don't think it matters to the extent we think it does right now. The thing that will really change all of that, though, is, is if and when football players and basketball players, student-athletes, become employees of the school and they're actually getting contracts. That's when that will matter. When the schools can pay the players directly because then you need that money for the payroll. But that's not the reality we live in right now. I understand looking ahead, seeing that crystal ball and seeing why it matters. But I think in the time being, the next five years, I I really think there's just diminishing returns. Once you make a certain amount of money, it's like just in life, right? What is the difference between if you are somebody who's very successful and you're making five, the the difference between making $5 million a year and $5.5 $5.5 million a year is a 
hell of a lot different than if you're making, um, you know, $100,000 a year versus $600,000 a year, even though it's the same amount increase, right? Yeah. And I guess maybe, you know, we're looking at it purely from like a football standpoint. I'm sure that 20 million helps, you know, Maryland always touted at one point the 27 varsity sports. So I'm sure it helps keep some of those sports that maybe aren't quite as popular, bringing the revenue alive. But then the day it's not going to matter from a football standpoint, once you get to the level that you're at, because they have the money for the facilities, they have the money, I guess, paying coaches, those salaries keep going up and up and up, but it's not like you're in the major leagues baseball right now. And you got the Yankees versus the Rays and, Clearly, that doesn't really matter too much because the Rays are in first, tied, and then the Yankees are in last. But, you know, payroll does matter to an extent in a league like that, but not in football yet. So. Yeah, of, of course it matters to an extent. I'm with you. Uh, and, it, you know, this is one of these situations. Everybody has an opinion. Everybody wants to speculate. It's fun. I like to do it, too. But, I mean, nobody really knows where this is going to end up. A couple of years ago, we thought the Big 12 was going to be dead. We've actually thought the Big 12 might die many times over between Nebraska and Missouri and Texas A&M leaving a decade ago and Colorado, and now Colorado's coming back. Then Texas uh, Texas and Oklahoma decide to leave. Big 12 goes out, adds a bunch of other teams, and they look like they're in solid position right now. One other quick thought. Um, I you'd, you'd have to add them for football too, unfortunately, but I would be kind of interested in the Pac-12 adding, if you're going to go out and add Gonzaga, Maybe add New Mexico is a program that has a really good basketball tradition, not a very good New football tradition. No, New Me- New Mexico, the Lobos. Just New Mexico. Yeah. Oh, the Lobos. Yeah. The, okay. Both both have good tradition, honestly, but the New Mexico Lobos have a, a really rich tradition in basketball. And uh, that's something the Big 12 has been really interested in is, you know, there's been the rumors of UConn joining the conference. There's been the rumors of Gonzaga joining. And, you know, Brett Yormark seems to think there's, more value than we quite realize in basketball. I think adding Gonzaga would be a really nice move and you know, help sell that. I mean, basketball money pales in comparison to football, but it's still something. You still got to have something to hang your hat on. I think that would help the Pac-12. Maybe you could add a St. Mary's with them. I mean, that is a good rivalry. That's a school in California. It's You wouldn't have to add a football program. So maybe New Mexico is just kind of a shot in the dark there. So maybe you add a St. Mary's with them. I can't think really of any other. It's too bad that there's not a school. Like Nevada from time to time has. Yeah. And their problem, they like haven't invested a lot enough. in football is their their problem. Yep. So I don't know. It's it's slim pickings out there for the Pac-12 right now. I do think there's a way to keep this league together if only Oregon and Washington realizing, hey, we can make the playoff a lot more in this league than if we were able to go to the, to the Big Ten. And I think the Big Ten's the only realistic landing spot for those two schools anyway. And I don't know how financials work from money standpoint, but like adding UNLV, it's like, you know how Vegas is now all the, the hot spot for the professional sports team. Somehow they could pump all the money into UNLV. I mean, they have a pretty good basketball history. Um, so if you could somehow get some football in there too and just make it the place to be, granted, you know, a lot of the pro uh, aspects of wanting to go there doesn't always apply to people under the age of 21, um, but still. It's a happening place, you know. You can go catch a show. Go see Jerry Seinfeld or Britney Spears or something. No doubt. A uh, tenuous time for the Pac-12 when it comes to everything off the field, off the court. But on the field, 
it's going to be a really fun year. There are so many good teams, so many good players, so many good quarterbacks, so many exciting offenses. So let's get into this thing, Ben. Let's start previewing the year ahead in the Pac-12. We'll do our same format as always, starting with three downs, then going to our bull and the bear, and finishing off with our best bets. No Brian tonight, so no trivia tonight, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately for me, saves me a little embarrassment. Ben's sad about it. He won another another win. Yeah, well under his belt but uh, another it's like the tiger woods you know so many weeks at the top number one ranking just adds another week to the top of my number one ranking yeah 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 all right all right all right let's get into it ben first down here to me the pac-12 is pretty clearly the best quarterback league in the country you have defending heisman uh heisman winner caleb williams coming back michael Penix threw for about a million yards at washington last year he's coming back you have Bo Nix at Oregon, all these three guys. They're in the top 10 in terms of the odds when it comes to the Heisman, when it comes to Heisman odds. And then at Utah, you have Cam Rising. You got some other exciting quarterbacks like Cam Ward at Washington State. Uh, DJU now at Oregon State. He may or may not win the job. I think he will, but they got an exciting freshman behind him. There's so many exciting quarterbacks in this league, but it's those top three that I mentioned, the defending Heisman winner, Caleb Williams, Michael Penix, and Bo Nix, who are the three true Heisman contenders right now in this conference. But the problem is, last year, they were all paired with some pretty bad defenses. I mean, it, it basically kept USC out of the college football playoff in year one for Lincoln Riley. So my question for you, Ben, is which team with a Heisman contender at quarterback, USC, Washington, or Oregon, is most likely to take a step forward defensively this season. So to me, this was pretty easy. Um, and I'll mention why. Like USC was, I mean, it's going to be the easiest for USC to take a step forward because they were, I think, in the bottom 10 last year on defenses. So it's not that hard to go up a couple more spots. Um, and obviously they added in a bunch of transfers from Power 5 schools, a lot of former top-rated recruits. But to me, and this could be purely my mind, I feel like it's harder for a defensive to gel together. You know, obviously, you know, you have Caleb Williams and um, Addison coming in last year. And I feel like it's just easier for a quarterback to make the offense flow. Where on defense, I think it's a little bit harder to get all the chemistry together and kind of have it all drive. But Washington, to me, they were bad last year, 100%. But they also got hit with a lot of injuries. I mean, I think that at some point, seven of their secondary were injured throughout the year, and now all but one are healthy. And they've got a lot of talent in there, too. And they have two of their defensive ends were uh, first-team All-Pac-12 honors last year. So when you have that getting better, I think it's more a fact of getting healthy to an extent, where I think that's a much easier hurdle to come over than saying hey we've got all these new guys maybe have some talent now can we put it all together versus hey everyone's healthy they've been together for years let's just you know get this thing done and then Oregon it's just I mean Lanning was from the touted SEC defense and clearly that didn't translate well last year I don't know he just didn't get it going for me he had some good star power last year and they just kind of fell flat on their face so he doesn't have the confidence i haven't seen it to be confident that he's going to turn around so for me it's easy washington's the one that's going to actually have a 
And to be fair, all any of these three teams just need a somewhat average defense to compete on any stage against any team in the country because their offenses are going to be pretty ridiculous. And it still pains me to think that Bo Nix is leading that and is a Heisman contender. But man, got turned around. I guess that'll happen when you're in the national or NCAA for five years. But it is what it is. Ben, what you are you think? You're you think? stealing all my thunder right here because I am so, Sorry, so, 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 so in on these Washington Huskies. Oh, That's right. The That's right the Husky that how, buddy. Times. Husky how. Because you're right. The Washington defense, it wasn't great, but it wasn't USC bad last year. And, yeah, so you're absolutely right. Seven defensive backs missed time last season. They're going to be better this year. They're going to be as long as they stay healthy. But they also did a nice job of of adding some pieces in the transfer portal as well uh, at the linebacker spot. Uh, uh, what's his name here? Oh, my goodness. Drawing a, drawing a blank on his name. Uh, transfer from Oklahoma State. Uh, they they bring him in at linebacker, who I think he was an honorable mention, uh, all Big Twelve guy last year. I don't know why I'm drawing drawing a blank on the guy's name. Oh, I'm sorry, not linebacker, defensive back Jabbar, Jabbar Muhammad from Oklahoma State. Oh yeah, uh, he's that's he was, what I was like linebacker. Yeah, sorry, sorry, I got all got all turned around there. I was too excited too about excited, that, that husky how. But Jamar, Jabbar Muhammad. From Oklahoma State, he transfers in. They add, you know, that's a, that's a great way to supplement your roster, right? That's how I like to use the transfer portal. But then I think they also have the best defensive line in the conference. They bring back Braylon Trice, an edge rusher who had he, I think he had nine sacks last year, uh, and he's a guy that's a an NFL prospect. Yeah, nine sacks last year, uh, twelve tackles for loss, and then they have another edge rusher, uh, Zion Tupelo Fatui who comes back, and he's a, he's an all-Pac-12 guy in the preseason. I had him, but I was not going to say his name because I was going to let you handle that because I did not want to tackle however that Tupelo Fatui was said. So yeah, it's tough. But, uh, having the courage to say that. I think I, did, I think I did the best I could there. But this is a really good, talented defensive line. I think it's a... a and they have both their starting defensive tackles coming yeah. back as well, so... And, you know, they, like... they were good last year against the run. They were actually very good. Their problem was all it was giving up explosive plays through the passing game. It was given up. It was just giving up everything through the air. And I think they're going to be better. I think they're going to be better if they can just stay healthy this year. And the other thing that I want to call out here is uh, one of their they have co-defensive coordinators, William Inge and uh, Chuck Morrell. And with Inge, Inge is a guy who was with Kalen DeBoer at Fresno State. He was the defensive coordinator there. And they made massive improvements on the defensive side from 2019 to 2021. You know, one of the it was a, a porous defense when they first took over, and in 2021 they were the number 20 team nationally in scoring defense. So I think you could take you'd be seeing a, a potential jump up year two under him under a new system. There, I really like Washington, and I think to your point, you know. With USC, yeah, they bring in a ton of talent, right? They bring in Bear Alexander on the defensive line from Georgia. And talent often trumps everything in football, but really on the defensive side of things. I just don't love the idea of 
all these new pieces gelling together, I, I much prefer a team getting healthy, a team that's been together, brings back some really key pieces, and then is also supplementing. I can't believe I just blanked on Jabbar, Jabbar Muhammad that whole time, just stumbling around, calling him a linebacker, forgetting yeah. everything about him. Because yeah, you know, this is a guy... They do have that husky spot, even though he's not you know, more of a safety. But it's funny, I forgot that they have the one reading up that they call it the husky. The husky spot, exactly. It's and it's uh, yeah. I think another safety they bring back, Asa Turner, is a guy who I've seen not on the official first team or the official Pac-12 preseason all-conference teams, but in some of the preview magazines, I'm pretty sure in uh, pick six previews, yeah, he's on the second team, second team all defense per six pick preview. So I think there's a lot of talent there. I really like this team. I think they put it together. And then, you know, while we're talking about him, we might as well just go ahead and get into it, Ben, because on the offensive side, I think they have the ability to be just as good as USC was. I mean, we've talked about Michael Penix a ton. He has that huge arm. He threw for a million yards last year, and he doesn't make a lot of turnover. He doesn't do a lot of things that will lead to turnovers. He's pretty careful with the ball, despite the fact that he makes some really big-time throws. So I I love Michael Penix there. They have a, a great receiving core maybe only second I mean Ohio State is clearly the number one receiving core in the country but I think Washington is right up there with anybody else in the country they have Romo Dunze is really the big name coming back for them and then Jalen McMillan that that combo of receivers is really impressive Uh, I like everything about this Washington team question I have is last year Penix got sacked five times on 575 attempts which is absurd. It's pretty impressive. Um, They lose three starters. So can he be as efficient if he's not able to stay upright as much? I'll be curious to see. I mean, he's, you know, pretty elusive guys. He's made some fun plays with his legs before. I mean, they've got a bunch of fifth years starter, fifth year, not starters, players coming in to replace him. But that'll be my, that's my one question I have on Washington is can their offensive line stay close to what they did last year? Obviously, they were upper tier top five in the country last year. And if they can at least maintain a solid level, because, you know, if you're getting sacked, can't throw for very many yards. Yeah, it's a fair question. But I, I feel like even going back to his days at Indiana, he's a guy that's not necessarily a running quarterback, but he is a scrambling quarterback and he can can buy some buy himself some time. Uh, the thing you always worry about with Penix, I mean, until last year, he had always been injured. That was what really was holding him back was that that injury history. And uh, so I, I think that's a fair question. I just think everything else is is overwhelmingly positive to me. And I, I like this team, Ben. I like this team so much that I, I'm going to give you a little preview of my best bets here. I'm betting on them. I'm betting on them big. I'm betting them on them in three different ways. I'm going to bet them to win the league at plus 375. If you do a little math here, even if they just make the title game, if they make the title game and are a 10 and a half point underdog somehow, I'll still have gotten value with this bet. Uh, so basically, what I really wanted to do was find a way to bet a parlay both Washington and USC making the title game. Turns out nobody will let me do that. But I, I really like Washington to win the league. Sad. I mean, if they make it to that game at plus 375, you, you're getting value. They're, you're probably going to – I don't think 
you're going to get them at much better than that if they get all the way there. In fact, it's going to be way, way lower than that. So I really like Washington there to win the league. They A, a stat that I've mentioned before on this show is TARP uh, from the Action Network. Colin Wilson puts it out. It's transferring assets and returning production. Basically a combination of evaluating the players you return, but also the transfers that you're bringing in and the transfers you're losing. And they have the best tarp in the nation, uh, the best defensive tarp in the nation, and they're number five on offense. So I really like that. And I like how their schedule shakes out. They start out with Boise State at home and Tulsa at home. Boise State is not the Boise State that we all remember. I, I don't think this program is nearly in the same place that it was a few years ago. Yes, they've gotten better. They got better last year as the season went on. Uh, Taylor Green improved as the season went on, but it's an offense that did not perform very well in that Mountain West Championship game against Fresno State, and I think uh, this Washington offense is just going to overwhelm them. Then the the toughest non-conference game they have is on the road at Michigan State. Well, if you watch the Big Ten at all recently, Michigan State's weakness has been its secondary. Teams have been able to throw all over Michigan State. So what looks like a tough game on paper, right? A West Coast team going to East Lansing, tough environment. I just feel like it sets up so well matchup-wise for Washington, where even though that is in theory a tough game, I just love the matchup. And again, I just think their offense overwhelms that secondary. It's not like Michigan State's a really explosive offense themselves right now. They have a lot of questions on that side of the ball. And I I like how that non-conference schedule sets up. And then you get into the big or the Pac-12 rather. And this is what stands out to me. So I consider the Pac-12 this year to have a big four. I consider it to be USC, Washington, Oregon, and Utah. Of those big four, they all play each other, which is really cool. It's going to make for some great games this season. Uh, But Washington, they have Oregon and Utah at home and just USC on the road. So they have two of those three games at home, which I think is huge. So I love this team. I, I love to bet them this year. I love their offense. I think their defense is much improved. Plus 375 to win the league. I'm also going to bet them at plus 650 to make the college wall playoff. And then I'm going to put a little sprinkle down here, a half unit on Michael Penix to win the Heisman at 16 to one. This is a guy who, who last year he threw for 4,641 yards. He led the Pac-12 in passing yards. He put up 31 touchdowns, through for 31 touchdowns. Uh, he was right there neck and neck w- with Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams had about, uh, he had 11 more passing touchdowns than him. But my point is, he's going to put up the numbers that are required to win the Heisman. And if they are a team that can go 11-1, and one, maybe even... 10 and two, I think he's going to be right there because he's going to put up those numbers. And when it comes to Caleb Williams, it's just so tough to repeat as the Heisman trophy winner because the expectations are raised to, to this other level. And Caleb Williams may very well Bryce young last year. Exactly. Bryce young. Very good. I, I, Bryce young was my favorite quarterback to watch in college football last year. And he was all but forgotten by a lot of people talked about basically. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, so I just think that, I think there's value there. 16 to 1. Uh, I'm going to take that. Those are my three big bets and and how I'm betting Washington and uh needless to say, I'm going to be 
I'm going to be rooting for, for Washington pretty hard this season. I love how the schedule shakes out. I love the way this, this team looks. And uh, let me tell you, every time the Huskies get a big win, you're going to be hearing this all season long. So my one concern about them is I think they may go undefeated until November, but that November schedule is brutal. So I know, like you mentioned, they do have Utah at home, but it starts with USC on the road. Then you have Utah at home. Then you got to go to Oregon State, which is, you know, we might talk about them later, but they're kind of coming around DJU. If he actually puts something together, some semblance of what he was recruited, that could be a tough one. And then you got the Apple Bowl. So that Cup. I'm going to be very curious. Cup. Apple, yeah, cup. Sorry. Sorry. It's okay. Sorry, sorry. It's okay. Cup, cup Bowl. Um, all, all things that you have liquid in. So. Apple game. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I'm, I'm very curious to see how that, cause that's, that makes or break their season is that month of November. Obviously it does with a lot of other schools as well, but I could, the way that their schedule shakes out, I wish I could bet them somehow to start eight, and know, and then see like what those odds would be. Um, <clears throat> because I do think, like you mentioned, I think they're going to tear up Michigan state and that's really their only competition. Boise state is, not so great anymore as we talked about and that's at home so yeah i mean yeah sure they could uh they could get to that game but uh you know still itching to talk about utah here but yeah we're not there how unbelievable is it going to be november 4th and november 11th washington at usc and then utah at washington in back-to-back weeks i mean that's awesome can you ask for a much better showcase for the league than those two games those three quarterbacks going at each other it's gonna be nuts i I love it it's gonna be ridiculous i mean the sad thing is that usc gets both of these powerhouses who i think of washington and uh utah they both get them at home because i'm just down on usc this year and i don't like them shades of uh 2005 bush bush um but uh yeah it's, it's gonna be so much fun to watch and how many times do you think the term the Wild West is going to get thrown out this year about the Pac-12? Oh, wild, Wild West. Thrown out yeah. so many times by just announcers and analysts, and it's just going to be a hilarious thing. And I think we should make a, uh, a bet of all these three quarterbacks of total yards we think that they throw for the year and see who comes the closest. Pretty fun. Okay. All right. I like that. We'll, we'll do that on our betting show. Well, uh, our preseason betting show where we kind of recap everything, add what other, uh, whatever other bets we have, we'll figure that out then. Um, so is there any reason, like we haven't, we didn't talk much about Oregon here. What do you think's holding Oregon back from taking this big step up? I, mean, I don't know if anything's truly holding them back. I just, you know, they had some talent last year, like, uh, Sewell and, um, I'm blanking on the other guy's name. That was pretty good. Uh, But like, they just didn't have it. And I expected, you know, someone coming in with Lanning's credentials and prowess to kind of turn around, but they very much led on another person who came from the SEC or leaned on another person who came from the SEC in Bo Nix. And I wonder how much that, came from um kenny d and his you know mentorship of bo nicks and whether that will be able to kind of get replicated again this year i just i don't know i just don't i haven't seen enough from landing in his you know who wants to replace or kind of instate the 2021 georgia defense and just he didn't just show me anything last year that made me think that hey he can do it and i could be wrong i mean they've got some good 
transfers in this year, um, and they've got a lot of talent on the defensive line. But other than that, it's just I don't. I just of all three, I'm the most bearish on them because I just I haven't seen anything that would like convince me that they're the team that's going to turn it around. Well, here's the thing about. If you want to create the Georgia defense, it's a pretty simple formula. You got to go out and recruit NFL player after NFL player after NFL player. That's how Georgia built that defense. And, uh, you know, Oregon's always recruited well, but they're not quite there yet. They've recruited well under Cristobal. They're recruiting well um, under Lanning, but they, they still got a little bit to go to continue to build that talent. I don't, as I went through this league. But the one thing, sorry, to the other recruiting. Recruiting at the level nine in the country is what they were last year or this year coming in is so far and away that difference, that gap from what Georgia has recruited. Oh, no doubt. Like I a mean, number one and two. Like that's a big gap. Th- there's a much bigger gap between the top five teams in the country and how they, they recruit versus, you know, number eight, nine, ten than there is from number eight, nine, ten to number 18, 19, 20. That, that that gap is is much larger, right? It's, it's a different level of talent. Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia. I mean, it's a different level. You're 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 no doubt right about that. I, I still think they're recruiting very well, though, and I think they can build it up a little bit more. Um, yeah, I, I as I've gone through this league, though, it kind of makes me feel when you talk about these teams and you know them trying to rebuild their defenses. USC doing it with so many transfers. Then you have the newcomer coaches in the leagues with with uh, Dion and uh, Dillingham at Arizona State bringing in Dion. Fifty one transfers coming in to Colorado. Uh, Thirty transfers coming into Arizona State. Even right, that, and that doesn't even sound like a lot compared to Colorado. But going through this league, I found it. I found myself thinking, like, we got to see, and I don't know how quickly we're going to find out which which of these teams, which of these units really gel together the quickest. Because I think that's going to be a huge part of determining who's successful in this league and who's not, because it's so transfer-reliant right now. So with that, let's move on to our second down, Ben, and let's talk about some of those first-year head coaches that are new in this league. There's Kenny Dillingham at Arizona State, there's Deion Sanders at Colorado, and then Troy Taylor at Stanford. All of them lose a ton. I already mentioned the number of transfers uh, Dillingham and Dion are bringing in at their school. Which one of these three coaches do you think is most likely to exceed expectations in year one? So it's very, you throwing some easy questions at me. I've just maybe not easy, but ones that I feel very opinionated about. Well, let's go. One, let's do it's it. It's going to be impossible for Dion to exceed expectations because expectations I feel like are so high that it's just going to be, I mean, you got to be realistic to a point. And a team that won one game last year and has 50, 60 new people on the roster, um, I don't know. I just think that their ceiling is maybe three games this year, if not less. Um, then you got to look at Stanford. And the problem there is you're coming in from one, one of the best coaches in college football and NFL in the past 20 years in Harbaugh. And then you have David Shaw, who's then the winningest coach ever in Stanford history. And Stanford's just not, you know, I mean, they've had their moment, but I just don't feel like they're going to replicate. They're not as hot, obviously, because they haven't been winning as much as some of the other Pac-12 schools. So I feel like that's just going to be a harder sell, especially now with, you know, they're a pretty high academic school. And I don't remember how, 
stringent they are in their standards. But all this back to what they basically I want to say. Take, they basically can't take transfers is how stringent yeah. they are. Which is crazy. So that's going to be a huge detriment to them. So, like, obviously, his expectations, I feel like, are so low, he could probably exceed them a little bit. But ultimately, it's, you know, not too high, not too low. Kenny D, which he is fun. He would be, like, in my mind, if you were a football player and then a turned coach and then you went to Maryland. I mean, he grew up in Arizona. He went to Arizona State. His coaching career started when he was in high school. Um, it's pretty funny. He tore his ACL in his senior year and then started coaching the JV team and then stayed there for a while. Eventually got hired from Mike Norvell and made his way up. I mean, he turned Bo Nix around. I mean, he made Bo Nix who he is today. Um, it's pretty impressive to say that. But That's one of the reasons I'm not as high on Oregon this season as I am on and on Washington and USC because I, I think there's there might be a drop off there with Kenny Dillingham leaving. Yeah. And this is his dream job. Like you know he's gonna put his blood, sweat, and tears and everything he has into this job. And I think it's very good because one, it's a complete opposite shift from Herm Edwards and his, oh, we're gonna make this the most NFL ready program in the entire uh NCAA and clearly that didn't go well at all. Um but he has one of my favorite quotes that I've seen all off season. Give it to uh, me. Is we live in a we live in a microwave world. People want quick fixes, but in a microwave world, the food's not as good. Um, so it's just a funny little thing, but it's true. Like I think that obviously they're not going to contend for the Pac-12 this year, but I think he's going to build a program. Um, he's fixed uh, Travis Johnson. No, is that his name? Uh, the other quarterback, I forget that he he's just like a quarterback guru, and obviously quarterback is a huge part of NCAA. And I just when you have as much passion as you do for your alumni, obviously it hasn't worked out for every coach that came and went back to the school uh, they went to. But you know, from his pedigree, what he's already done, I just think it's a home run for Arizona State. I know he's really young; he's younger than us, which is really kind of crazy to think about. Um, but I think it's a home run for them. Uh, obviously, we have to see what the results yield. But in my opinion, he's the one that's going to exceed expectations the most. You with me? Yeah, I am. I am with you. Answer. And I also think, see? I mean, the Colorado thing, look, that, that schedule is so hard. They start the year at TCU and then Nebraska. I think Nebraska has a ton of talent, a ton of talent there still, honestly. I think Nebraska going to be pretty good this year. And uh, TCU obviously went to the national championship game a year ago. I think their schedule is ridiculously tough. I don't like that at all. I, you know, I mentioned that tarp stat earlier. Stanford is, has the worst net tarp of any team in the Pac-12. They're in the bottom 15 nationally. They lose a ton and, you know, they, they need, they needed to kind of turn some things over and they actually are off to a de- decent start recruiting wise. That doesn't help right now. Uh, I, I think Arizona State actually has a little bit of talent there, a little bit more talent left than than both those other two schools. Obviously, they are relying on a lot of transfers. But yeah, I think it's I'm, I'm with you pretty easily as well. Uh, I think they have the best chance to exceed some expectations here. And I, I'm slightly concerned by how much I'm agreeing with you tonight, Ben. We seem pretty, pretty aligned on a lot of things here. So let's move on to our third Except down. One thing. Yeah, well, one thing which we'll get to. I know you're itching to talk about it, oh, so yeah. we'll get I'm there itching. in just a second. Our our final down, third down. I know Ben said we don't respect fourth down. The punter's down here, just three downs. So our our third and final down of the night. 
The teams I want to talk about here, Ben, are UCLA and Oregon State because both are bringing in a really exciting combination of transfers and freshmen at the quarterback position. UCLA, they bring in Dante Moore, uh, a, a stud a freshman, five-star guy out of, uh, I think he's out of the D- Detroit area. So pulling him right out of Big Ten country makes sense. They are a Big Ten school now. And then Colin Schley, a transfer from Kent State, where he threw for a bunch of yards. That was a high-powered offense a year ago. So they have that combo coming in. Oregon State is a team with a lot of hype this year. Some Oregon State fans think they can maybe win the league. And they have a DJU coming in, the, the transfer from Clemson well-known guy in college football worlds. And then Aiden Childs, he's not the five-star that Dante Moore is, but he's one of the highest-ranked recruits in the history of the Oregon State program. Um, he is a, he was a four-star, the number 58 prospect overall per 24-7 sports. Kid from California. and He's the sixth highest signee in Oregon State history. <laughs> That's crazy. So pretty high. That's absolutely crazy. So these are two programs that He's are kind the of second highest behind one quarterback. Derek, oh, Derek Anderson. Anderson. Yeah, that's that's like the <laughs> that name. is the the Oregon State quarterback. Um, and it's funny. I look sorry to derail you here, but I was looking for trivia questions earlier. And of course, Derek Anderson holds the record for most interceptions in the season in the Pac-12. <laughs> Damn, that's I you know, yeah, I mean, like pretty funny. <laughs> it's interesting, though, because it's a guy who's obviously he went on to play in the NFL for a long time. Yeah. And I, I know he's not a hall of fame quarterback or anything like that, but still to go to make the NFL and play for a while, you would think that you had to have a, a pretty good college career, not lead the conference. I feel like he was just the typical like Paxton Lynch type guy where it's like, Oh, he's like tall and has a strong arm. He'll, he'll figure it out. And obviously that works with some people, but not with everyone. Fair enough. Well, so I, I'm going to tell you, Ben, I, between these two quarterback combinations, I think that DJU and Aiden Childs are actually set up better to succeed than the UCLA combo. And I'm going to tell you why. It's because this offensive line at Oregon State is, is fantastic. Uh, it's really good. It, it's a really good offensive line, and they have a star at the running back position in Damian Martinez. And I think that that those are things that will help any quarterback uh, and then you add to the fact that Jonathan Jonathan Smith is the head coach there he's a guy who's well known for being creative offensively he's kind of an offensive guru he loves coming up with crazy plays and i think that gives them an advantage over the UCLA combo now i know you're saying wait doesn't isn't Chip Kelly UCLA's coach i mean this is a guy who is known for the blur offense at Oregon but i think you know, I'm having a hard time right now figuring out like what is Chip Kelly in this modern era, and I'm very, I'm very interested actually to see what this offense looks like for him without uh, DTR, without Thompson Robinson, because he was there forever. He was there, uh, what felt like that whole Chip Kelly era, and I'm interested to see what they do with a different quarterback. He was very good, but I'm just and they don't curious have to see how it, Charbonnet. Yeah, Charbonnet. Oh, so that's the other thing. The UCLA, they lose a couple of their top receivers. They lose Zach Charbonnet, who is a fantastic running back. And, you know, I've been pretty big this offseason, if you've been paying attention to what I've been saying in these these preview episodes, which is debatable. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. But I've been big on the running back position. The running back position, Ben, I think is more important than we're giving it credit for. And, you know, we, we've going through some things in the NFL right now, right, where star running backs are 
are like, well, we're not getting paid what we deserve to be paid, right? They're having Zoom calls, the star running backs in the NFL. And to some extent, I think they're right. I mean, running back position is one of the hardest positions to play. It is one of the most physically demanding. And if you have a star, it can really make a difference. And Zach Charbonnet was a star. So I am really actually excited to see how both these quarterback battles play out, to see who ends up winning, to see what these offenses look like. But I like the things around DJU and Childs at Oregon State better than I like what's around uh, like when I then I like what's around the UCLA quarterbacks. How about you? Yeah. So that's the same thing. Exactly what I thought when thinking about this question, the crazy thing, if you remember Oregon state, when they came back and beat Oregon last year in the civil war, didn't attempt to pass on their last three drives and came back in one. So the fact that their offensive line is that good, then you've got, uh, Damian Martinez, who added 15 more pounds of muscle. He's up to 230. This is the running back behind that crazy offensive line. So 230 in college football and was still clocked at 21 miles per hour in their spring game. That's a lot. And then the other thing I didn't realize until... Sounds like you've been reading your your pick six previews, Ben. Yeah, I have. Yeah, good good stuff for pick six previews uh, there. Stuff. When you talk about beefy guys running fast, you know that's what I love to see. Um, but the crazy thing that I also learned from this pick six preview is that DJ called Oregon State. So he clearly likes what's going on there. And maybe he's like, oh, they've got a cushy offensive line and a great running back. And, you know, I can be more of a game manager than maybe, you know, setting the world on fire. Maybe that just gives him the confidence that he needs to turn his career around because he was the next Trevor Lawrence. Like he came in in that one game against Notre Dame when – you know, Trevor was hurt and like, oh, yeah, it was, look at uh, this. We've it was COVID. He was out with COVID. It was the COVID year. It was 2020 and um, Trevor was yeah. out with COVID. And it was like, oh, look, at we're, we're set for the future because we've got him after Trevor. And clearly, I don't know if his expectations, pressure, whatever. So I, I think they're much that combo Oregon State is going to succeed in my mind or has a much better chance of succeeding than UCLA because Chip Kelly has been up and down. I mean, even last year, they kind of you know, outperformed expectations. So I don't know. He's kind of been weird. He's been an anomaly ever since his success at Oregon between his time with the Eagles back at UCLA. I just don't think he's maybe the offensive mastermind that everyone, he's just not on the same level where he was kind of in a class of his own at however many years ago that was. It seems like probably, it seems like five years ago, but it's probably 15 years ago at this point. Um, so Losing all of that, not having that running game, I think is just a harder situation to put a one brand new freshman quarterback and then a transfer in. So especially because what he's from Mac, I think he's not from a power five conference. They're college Lee. He's from uh, Kent State. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So a little bit different of a ball game, especially in the loaded Pac-12, the Wild Wild West. So granted, those defenses might be uh, a little easier than those uh, Mac defenses the way that uh, the Pac-12 has been going recently. <laughs> they have a ricochet shot there at the Pac-12 defenses. Those are our three downs. Ben, I know you've been itching to talk about this team, so let's get into the bull and the bear. You tell me who your bull is. Who are you bullish on, Benny? Yeah, we're basically doing what every major media outlet has done the entire offseason, is not talk about Utah, talk about USC, talk about Washington, all this fun stuff. Utah, same coach, same offensive coordinator, same defensive coordinator, same quarterback, 
Uh, they bring back a load of talent. I think they have like 11 of their 15 starters back on defense. When you ever have Cam Rising, who's a fifth-year player coming back, and obviously he's not on the pedigree of talent that you have from some of the other schools, but he's a winner. I mean, you don't just win the Pac-12 twice in a row um, and then come back for a third time and win a third time in a row without being a winner. And then the one thing I feel like people kind of forgot about um, is, I mean, obviously Kincaid last year had a really good monster season, but he wasn't even the starter last year. It was Brant, uh, Keithy. Brant, Keithy. Keefe, whatever, I don't know. Yeah, Keefe. Um, Does, uh, the, you just got to think about uh, Keefe from Righteous Gemstones. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's a good way to put it. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> I think the talent that they have on defense, because they're, I mean, they've always been a strong defensive team over the last couple of years. They trounced USC. They beat them twice last year. So there goes that, oh no, king of the Pac-12. It's just, you know, we pooped on them last year. 44-7, to I believe, was the final run that they had in the Pac-12 championship game. Uh, they've got people who had all Pac-12 recognition last year, all freshman Pac-12 on that defense. And my favorite guy on their defense is Samote Peppa. Uh, 6'3", 330 pounds, nose tackle. So anytime you have someone that large in college football, it's pretty fun. And he uh, he was also all led all freshman last year in the Pac-12 with four sacks. So you have all that. You have uh, rising on the offense. You have stability in the coaching and the next man up mentality. So even if something happens, I just I love Kyle Whittingham as a coach, and I think he's great. And I love the fact that. Um, that pick six preview also told me that's pretty funny that they just had contact in their spring game, which most other schools don't. So their quarterback, uh, you can tell physicality, beefiness, all stuff I love. And the fact that they feel like they're kind of being disrespected because no one's talking about them. It's just a success for a three-peat. So, you know, I'm betting on hard this year. We'll get to my bets, but yeah, what, what those do now? What, what, what are the odds? What is it? 10 to one. So you've got 10 to one to make the playoff, which <coughs> is crazy to me because you've got other teams up there. Like I think Penn state's like 400. You've got, yeah, here we go. You've got Florida state at plus 380. You've got Penn state at plus 430. You've got um, Oklahoma at plus 700. Even Oregon is plus 650. Notre Dame is plus 750. And then you've got little Utah, Returning all these people, repeat champions of the Pac-12, and they're at ten to one. They're at plus five fifty to win the Pac-12 conference. So you know, I don't know the math of how you did to get even they're a ten and a half underdog. Utah gets there, and they're probably a twenty-one and a half underdog. Well, they're not going to be a twenty-one point underdog. So yes, yeah, you're right. Exactly. If they get there, it's it's <laughs> tremendous value. It's tremendous value. Yeah. But my favorite bet of all that is they're over eight and a half wins, which is plus odds right now. It's only plus one hundred four. But basically, the way their schedule shakes out, they just need to go two and three to get nine wins because I think everything else is a pretty easy cakewalk. But they need to go two and three versus Florida, UCLA, USC, Washington, and Oregon. So I think that's pretty, you know, understandable to go two and three in those games. I think they're going to want to be a little out for blood after how they uh, started the year last year against Florida. So I think they're going to win that game. UCLA is easy. Oregon's easy. It's just well, UCLA beat them last year. It. I, I mean, I get it was a different team, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. You can say it's. But I say you easy. need to go two and three, two and three, 
two and three. Okay, let me throw you a game games. out there on the schedule that I'd be a little worried about. At Arizona, what? November 18th. Why, why are you worried about that? I mean, explosive offense. I mean, just like every other team in the Pac-12, explosive offense, not a great defense. But the thing is about Utah, they're, they're a different team on the road. I mean, home Utah is a very different than road Utah. And the thing that I don't like about their schedule this year is they have to go to Baylor, they have to go at USC, and they have to go at Washington. And I think that puts them at a huge disadvantage having to play those two games on the road against the those other, you know, two of the of those big three teams that they have to go against. That's what really scares me for them. If there was something I could bet on, I wish I could do this so badly. I wish I could parlay them beating Florida at home to open the season and then losing at Baylor the next week. That's because that's what I really think is going to happen. The thing that scares me, Ben, is not only the fact that they're they're so good on the at home, but not quite as good on the road. It's Cam Rising had an ACL injury in the Rose Bowl. That was this calendar year in 2023. Are we? I you know I know like there's been there was something on Twitter uh, within this offseason where somebody's like he's behind schedule and he posted a a funny a funny gif. Jif, whatever, back, um, kind of being like, yeah, I'm, I'm on schedule. Like, wait and find out. Uh, I, I know all indications are that he is ready. He's gonna play, but still a little scary that you don't know exactly what he is coming off an ACL injury. You never know. I, Not ben, I was where you were last year. I bet on them a million different ways. I thought, I thought they were gonna make the playoff for sure. That was my big bet of last off season. I was disappointed that their defense didn't quite come around to be that dominant defense that I expected to be. Yes, they did improve a lot as the season went on. Yes, they did win the Pac-12, but there was times like something continually let them down throughout the season. And at times it was the defense. It wasn't quite that dominant defense like against UCLA. Oh my goodness. I don't know how many rushing yards they gave up in that game. I could bring it up, it but it lot. was like a lot. I, I mean, they got 300 close to 400. Maybe they ridiculous. ran rough shot over them. And then against Oregon, it was kind of the opposite. That was a other game. They lost their offense. Wasn't quite there. I, I feel like It's weird because you're right. We are underestimating Utah and everything you say about them is correct. Like we have to treat them with respect. They always get better as the season goes on, but I don't like the schedule and I don't think they're a dominant. I don't think they're a dominant defense. I don't think uh, I'm a little scared about rising. I don't think they're a, they're a overall all around very solid team. I would be shocked you were right. I'll be shocked if they won less than eight games. What? what it's it. The total is eight and a half. It's eight and a half. Okay, I'd be shocked though I'd if be they. Shocked. I'd be shocked if they if they went any worse than eight and four. I would be absolutely shocked. Which is a huge testament to Kyle Whittingham and the program he's built. If Cam Rising was a hundred percent healthy, I think that would make me feel a lot more comfortable. And you know they don't have the greatest history of of being ready to go early in the season and they have an sec team granted that's at home i do think they win that game but then they go on the road to baylor so uh those are the reasons that i'm concerned about utah i understand why you did it but that's why i'm concerned about utah my thing that i'm bullish on here ben is something i think is gonna be really fun to watch this season washington state 
brings in a 27-year-old offensive coordinator named Ben Arbuckle. He was the offensive coordinator at Western Kentucky last year, and I am really bullish on them generating more explosive uh, passing plays under Arbuckle. This is a guy that graduated from high school in 2014, which is just ridiculous to think about. (laughs) But last year, Western Kentucky was one of the most prolific passing offenses in the country. And all of this was after losing Bailey Zappi, right? You think about Western Kentucky, Bailey Zappi, they were so great. They lose him. They lose Zach Kitley, the offensive coordinator to Texas Tech, goes to the same position. Arbuckle steps in, and they they were just as prolific, essentially. So I think Cam Ward and Ben Arbuckle is going to be a really interesting marriage at the OC and quarterback position. I'm excited to see them. Arbuckle's just fun to say. Oh, too. great name. Arbuckle. Fantastic name. Love it. You missed a fun stat, too, from his offense last year. Uh, they hit 81 20 plus passing yard plays, which is absurd number to think about. That's just multiple. That's what, like five a game at least? Yeah, more than that. I mean, 12 times five I is 60. So, yeah, even even more than that. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. It, it's going to be fun it's to watch. Wild. It's just like we need another explosive offense in this conference. It's it, This league is going to be so much fun. I'm just giddy thinking about it. I'm just, you know what I'm thinking about right now? It's been a long day of college football. And, like, you turn on, let's see, do they? does this game exist this year? Uh, I was going to say you turn on the TV or not turn on the TV is already on, but the primetime game ends. It's like 11 o'clock. You flip over to ESPN two and you have something like Washington state, Arizona. And that date game is on the schedule, October 14th, yep, Washington October 14th. state, Arizona. And they're just chucking the ball around. It's just going to be so much fun. I'm so excited for it. Uh, one thing though, I am not excited about Ben is Oregon State's defense. There's so much expect so the expectations are so high for this team this year. We talked about the quarterback situation, the running game, the offensive line. There's so much to be excited about. But last year, what they really hung their hat on was running the ball in defense, and they lose six starters off the defense, including three players who were all conference. And when you're a program like Oregon State that relies so much on development and you don't recruit at that super, super high level, I think it's really hard to lose that, those players, lose that skill, lose that continuity, and just immediately replace them. So I I think Oregon State is going to still be just as effective running the football, but I don't think that defense is going to be quite as good. And I think that's what's ultimately going to hold them back. And the reason why I'm not taking a shot on them, I think they're 11 to one to win the league. That's why I'm not taking a shot on them. I was interested in it. I couldn't do it. That's why. What, uh, do you know what their over under is by any chance? Win total. Uh, we can find that out. We can find that out. But I think it's, I think it's about eight, eight and a half. If I, if I, because the way the schedule shakes out, they don't play USC. They have Utah at home. They have Washington at home. Um, they have UCLA at home. They're really the teams that they play on the road is Colorado, Arizona, Cal, and Oregon, Washington State as well. But it's interesting. Like I'm, I'm now peaked. My interest at what their over under is. It's eight. It's eight and a half, but it's juiced uh, plus one thirty if you take the over. All right. Nine and three. That's a, I mean that's a tough putt in this league. Nine and three. That is. They went nine and three last year. You still have to play. You have to play Washington, Oregon, and Utah still, and that means you have to 
if you lose all three of those games, you can't lose anything else, which we know very rarely happens in college football. Or you have to steal one of those games, which I don't know. It's tough. It's tough. It is tough. I I feel like it's Especially the right. The... I feel like they're right at eight. Like they're right <coughs> on that cusp of eight and eight wins, eight yeah. wins, nine wins. I don't see them I feel going like if it away was under over eight. No, I mean the, the only thing that scares me is the defense is not as good, and they can't. In my you can't rely on the run as much if you're down, if your defense is giving up points, especially in right. this league. So that's the only thing that makes me a little scared if, you know, all of a sudden Washington State comes out and takes a 21 to 3 lead. It's going to be tough for them to come back against something like that. So, yeah, that's a tough one. I was peaked, but I've been unpeaked. So, <laughs> all right, Ben, who are you, who are you uh, bearish on this upcoming season? Uh, I'm Patrick? bearish on everything Colorado. I am already sick of hearing about it. Um, Dion is a phenomenal personality and obviously his players love him. He's a great recruiter, great on social media, all of that stuff. Fantastic. Um, I think obviously long-term it's going to be very exciting and curious to see what he can do at a power five versus the turnaround he had at Jackson state was great, but obviously the talent difference, especially when he's bringing in the number one recruit in the country to uh, not a division power five school, you know, the talent he had was much higher than your traditional FCS school. So when he's now going to be on the lower end of talent versus everything else around him, it's really going to see what kind of coach he is and he could be really good. I don't know, but there's just not enough information for me to be like, Oh, this team's going to be a huge turnaround from day one. I think that they'd be hard pressed. Uh, one of my favorite things I wanted to bet, but the odds have just gone so low, as you very well know, is Colorado under on their win total, um, and it's the three and a half. So it's just I think some of the hype they're getting is just you know obviously it's a big thing to talk about. Coach Prime loves to be talked about, um, so he's going to keep that train rolling. But I just even if looking at their schedule, I was just trying to even see how they could potentially win games. And it's not the easiest schedule. Like I think you talked about TCU, Nebraska, Colorado state start. That could be a quick Owen three at Oregon, USC air. Like, I don't know a game that I'm like, yeah, they could probably win that game. I don't, I would, I think the Colorado like state game look, they'll be favored in. And that's what I was wanting to see their favorites. Stanford. I think it's Colorado state and Stanford are probably the two games that they will be favored. in. I don't think there's another game yeah. on that schedule to be favored. in. Yeah. And wasn't like, wasn't Hunter even playing offense a little bit? Oh, he's going to play both ways. It's going to be pretty cool. Is he doing both ways? Yeah. He's going to yeah. play both. So ways. I'm curious to see how that's going to go. Obviously it's still division or it's still, you know, college football so it was still taxing then but it's gonna be curious to see when he's getting hit by bigger faster players on offense and then having to go hit bigger faster players on defense and guard them how long he can hold up if he can do that that'd be pretty fun and impressive so i'm excited to see that but everything else i think they're a one i think they're a two win team and obviously you know proving wrong coach prime but i'm very bearish on that and everything we're going to hear about colorado for a while until they start like zero and five stamped stamped agree completely i i placed this bet back in april of under three and a half and at the time i had it i got it at even money uh plus a hundred there now i would i did i put it i think i put it in the rundown 
here and doesn't help you guys out there, but it's, uh, yeah, now it's minus 154, which is, I, I'm so sick of, I, I don't want to bet these, these full season spreads at minus money. Like I did it last week and I hate that I gave this out to everybody and I apologize out there is South Carolina under six and a half. When I, when I went to put it in, it was minus 178. I don't love that at minus 178. I don't want to give out any more games like that. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't, I, I do think they go under three and a half. I agree with everything you said. That offensive line is atrocious. It's going to be Swiss cheese and Shador Sanders is going to be running for his life. The, the, I also don't rule out. I've heard a lot of talk of this is a team that's going to get better as the season goes on. I'm not sure about that. When you bring in 50 transfers, like, okay, let's think about it this way. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that out of these 50 transfers that came in, there are a bunch who are going to transfer out after one year. Because by all accounts, Dion is not exactly the easiest coach to play for. And there might be some guys coming in who are like, this is not who I want to play for. This is not the program I want to be in. And I, I think there's a non-zero chance that there's some guys that are, let's just say not exactly uh, fully bought in by the end of the year. Now there's some guys that did come with him from Jackson state. Obviously there's some other guys that will certainly be bought in, but I don't think it's a given that this team just automatically gets better and better as the year goes on. I think it's a, a bunch of guys you know, who are trying to come together. I think there's some talent there, but I think there there's still a dearth of talent in other areas, uh, specifically on that offensive line. And it's a little scary with Shadur Sanders back there. And, you know, you, you hope that that doesn't lead to, I think he's going to take a lot of hits. I, I really do. I think he's going to take a lot of hits this year. And, uh, but I am interested to see what he can do. I'm interested to see what Travis Hunter can do, but I, I am with you. I'm, I'm bearish on them as well. So, one quick thing I want to say, uh, the most, obviously we've read this Brent Sansa pick six thing, the most jarring thing in this entire read when I was reading with everything else, everything I read in the Pac-12 is that someone asked him whether on Sirius XM, whether they thought Colorado could win 10 games. The fact that anyone is even asking that question is Can I absurd. tell you, I think that the <laughs> initial win total, I think they were one of the few teams that had a win total posted like last December, maybe right after Dion got hired. And it was five and a half wins back then. Oh my God. In April, it, it already got bet that. down to three and a half. I know. I, I'm so mad at myself about it. But yeah, it was five and a half wins. I mean, the expectations for this team have just been completely unrealistic. And. Um, it's going to be a very, very bad football team this year. Like it's, it's a great hire for Colorado because they have so many losing seasons in the last 20 years, but it's not just going to happen like that. Exactly. Exactly. I, he could end up being a very successful coach there. He could transform that program. He can be an innovator in the sport, but all that can be true and they can still be a really bad football team this year. All that can be true at the same time. Ben, we've touched on a ton of our bets here. Uh, really quick, I'll, I'll just recap what I have. I have Washington plus 375 to win the league. I have Washington plus 650 to make the college football playoff. I have Michael Penix to win the Heisman at 16 to 1. I'm going to do a half unit on that. And then I did place that Colorado bet under three and a half wins at even money. It's now one at minus 154. I would not bet it at minus 154. Um, 
if you can find it at better odds, go for it. But I, I'm just not interested in doing too many of these where I'm giving the books my money for that long over the course of a season at, at those kind of odds. The only other thing that I am interested in, it's not really necessarily a bet right now that you can make, is Washington State and Wisconsin. They play in week two. I'm interested in the over on that game because I talked about how much more explosive I think the Washington State offense is going to be. Wisconsin, they bring in Phil Longo as the offensive coordinator from North Carolina, and they throw the ball around a ton. Uh, Tanner Mordecai is going to be their quarterback. Last year, that was a game... Uh, I wish I had it in front of me. I I had it up before and I don't anymore. But I think that game was 17-14 last season when those two teams played. It's not going to be a 17-14 game. No, it was 17-14. 17-14. It's not going to be a 17-14 game this year. scoreless first quarter and a scoreless fourth quarter. (laughs) So, of course, got to wait and see, obviously, what that total ends up being. That's something to keep an eye on if, you know, if the perception of those teams by the public is still they are the old versions of themselves, then maybe there's going to be some value there. Now, if both teams go out and put up huge numbers in week one, maybe not. But uh, it, that that remains to be seen. I did look at the Colorado State-Washington State total, and that's about six points higher than it was last year. So I, I think, you know, is a little bump, but not a huge bump. So I wouldn't be surprised if Washington State goes out there in week one and puts up a, a ton of points. So those first two weeks, I might go some some overs. Washington State only had 10 first downs that entire game. Disgusting. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Uh, breaking news. We do have breaking news. Uh, Brian Kaufman, our co-host, has just sent in his picks for the week on Pac-12. All uh, right. I will read them now. Yeah, read them. What do you got? So, number one, UCLA under eight and a half wins plus 110. Clearly, Brian is very bullish on the drop-off of the offense um, and the toughness of the rest of the league. Arizona State under four and a half wins minus 105. Brian very much likes the unders, as he's also on Oregon under nine and a half wins at minus 122. So Brian, very, very liking the unders. And I'm very curious when we get him on next, whether he's a big Utah guy or a big Washington guy, um, because he didn't pick any of those Or maybe a big USC guy. Honestly, that is very Brian. He's probably USC. We're probably just all riding different horses this year. And he's probably just all in on USC. That's just so Brian, actually. You nailed it. That's fantastic. I love it. I hope that is the case. Ben, you are big on Utah. Give me your Utah bets, and let me know if you got anything else here. Uh, I've got Utah at over 8.5 wins at plus 104. Utah plus 550 to win the Pac-12 conference. And then Utah plus 1,000 to make the college football playoff. And is that it for you for the Pac-12? That's it. I'm just all Utah all the time, baby. Grant, I do like some of your bets, but for me, it's all Utah. You're not stamping them. I stamp your Colorado one, but at at even money. the other odds. Yeah, it's I just gotcha. tough. It's just tough to bet at my. I still may even like it, but it's tough to fully endorse it. You know, one thing I know we're an hour twenty into this episode, but one thing I do have to call out. I can't believe I didn't mention this already. USC has a huge advantage this season if they make the Pac-12 championship game. They have a bye in the last week of the regular season. So they start week zero. 
So they have two buys. They start the season San Jose State against San Jose State, August 26th at home. So they have a buy September 16th, and then they have a buy the last week of the regular season, November 25th. I think that's going to be a huge advantage for them if they can make that Pac-12 championship game. It's essentially like getting a buy in the NFL, uh, in the first round of the playoffs in the NFL. It's going to be an extra week of prep for USC and Lincoln Riley, an extra week to get healthy. Everybody's banged up that time of year. I think that is a huge advantage for USC. And the one thing that very much scares me with betting against them to win the conference. The other thing that is tough too, is they have both uh, Washington and Utah at home, which is just also unfortunate for anyone who's anti-USC like myself. And that's precisely why I wanted to bet Washington and USC together to both make the, the Pac-12 championship game. Haven't found a way to do it yet. Hey, if, if you know of a way, if there's a book out there that offers uh, either the ability to parlay both those teams making it or offers, you know, sometimes for like the national championship, you'll get those two teams, specific teams to both make it uh, that the books will actually offer as a bet. Let me know. Because I'd really like to get my money down on both those teams to make it. I think those are the two best things. I like their schedules the best. Um, and I like both of them to make it. So if you see it out there, let me know. I haven't found it. But that's our show. Uh, he is Ben Crowley. Brian Kaufman, not here today, but giving you his picks from wherever he is. And we're going to find out next week if he is a USC guy, if he's a Utah guy, if he's an Oregon guy, where he, oh, we know he's not an Oregon guy. If he's a Washington guy, maybe, maybe he's with me. Maybe he's with Ben. Always. He's been burned by Oregon. I feel like that he just dislikes Oregon with a passion. Oh, for sure. For sure. Uh, But that's our show for tonight. It was a pleasure as always, Ben. I will talk to you next week as we preview the ACC. Uh, Everybody take care out there until next time. Keep the girl hot and the cooler cold.